With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Debbie Frisch is a mother, foster mother, spiritual director, volunteer, community activist, and philanthropist. In 2017, she opened Hello Baby, our nation's first freestanding, free of charge, drop-in play space for babies, toddlers, and their caregivers. In 2022, Debbie was awarded the Champion for Children Award from the Bright Promises Foundation. Prior to opening Hello Baby, Debbie was actively involved with many not-for-profit organizations that serve economically disadvantaged families and children. She has a bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and a master's from the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. Her first volunteer experience was at Christopher House in the daycare and Head Start programs, and she was named their Volunteer of the Year in 2005. She was a foster care mother for Adoption Center of Illinois and a respite care provider for safe families for children. Through these two organizations, she has had 56 babies and toddlers in care. One of these children, Jace, came to her for respite care at six months old. Since then, he became her godson, and 10 years later, they still see each other regularly. Debbie lives in Chicago, Illinois, where she enjoys long lakefront walks with her dog, Teddy. She loves crafting, knitting, reading, exercise, and time outdoors. Debbie, we're so happy to have you here today. Welcome to the Art of Seeing Clearly. Well, Debbie, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast today. And I think the listeners are going to be excited to hear about your journey, some of the lessons you've learned along the way. And I think you've got a lot to teach us. And I look forward to what that journey is. Growing up, tell us about those formative years. I'm going to start right at the beginning. I was born in East Lansing, Michigan in 1960. 
And my family of origin was impacted by alcohol and infidelity and physical, mental, and verbal abuse. There was a scarcity of resources and definitely of affection. And I just remember my childhood as being very, very lonely. So when I went to University of Michigan, that was my big escape about 50 minutes away from East Lansing. Then I began to free myself and I moved to Chicago after mostly because so many of my friends from Ann Arbor were from the Chicago area. So I followed them. So that's good reason. But I met my husband and I had two biological daughters and through them, I really got to re-experience childhood by creating the one I wanted for them. What did you want for them? I wanted them to be happy and busy, and I wanted them to find their passions, and I wanted their voices to be heard. And I think too many times, especially with women of my generation, our souls were just squashed to fit into societal norms, and I wanted them to be free to speak their full voices and full truth. So at what stage did you have your daughters? How old were you at I, this time? I worked in Chicago for about six or seven years in the loop. I got married at 28. Okay. And on my one-year wedding anniversary, I had a one-month-old baby. So it happened fast. And then three years later, my, my youngest was born. Okay. okay. Two girls. So what was it about your beginning that really influenced not only your parenting, but your fostering? Because you have your two natural daughters and you have many other children who you've helped foster, over 50 children in total. How did those early lifehood experiences for you influence what you wanted to change and how you parented? Well, in our family, my husband was the primary breadwinner and he's 20 years older than me and he traveled all the time. So it really would have been a disaster if I wasn't home. And I wouldn't, it might've been good for my self-esteem, but I wouldn't have generated the income probably to pay for childcare, you know, or it would have been a push. So I stayed home and I really think I figured out the parenting thing when I began foster care. Because with Lauren, she was a prickly baby. I was so nervous around her. And I kind of fell into it. When the kids went to school full time, I had a year of getting my nails done and playing tennis. And I'm like, okay, that was fine, but I can't do that again. I got to find something else to do where I can still be available for my kids, but have something meaningful for myself. So I began working with different not-for-profits and the focus of the primary focus was supporting families raising young children in underserved communities. Uh, why why was why is that a passion? Why did you choose that at that time? We haven't gotten into it, but is there something in your past, your education that led you already? No, to- I have no training in this. I was a building manager in the loop. I was in real estate. I have no background in this. I know no educational background <laughs> in this field. Now we have people on our board who do now have it, but I was, my first volunteer experience was at Christopher House, and I worked in, it was a low-income Head Start and daycare program, and I did that for about six years. And then I served as a board officer, board director, you know, different things. But one of my friends was providing foster care for an adoption agency. At the time, 
if she was going to go out of town for the weekend, she couldn't just leave the baby with me. She had to leave the baby with someone who was licensed. And I think Correct. that's now. But so I had my license and I thought, oh, I'll have two to three babies for a long weekend or so a year. It's going to be. And I just went, I mean, it just, this is what I was born to do. So, so here's someone. So this is really interesting. You had a childhood where you didn't have a good parenting background. You you didn't have this, you know, something to look up to and like, hey, I want to be like, like this. You became a parent and you're like, I'm not sure I was that great at it, but I was doing good job. You know, I'm doing a great job. Oh, better than was done. Better than. Yes. Yes. And we all think that too. It's like, I don't know if I'm doing that or not. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you start fostering and you were good at it. What, like, what did that do to you? Where did that come from? Well, first people were like, she's the baby whisperer. And I go, oh, they're just being nice. You know, oh, they're just saying that. And then I realized, wow, you know, that baby had a ton of alcohol and drug exposure and I've gotten her to calm down. And I thought, maybe I am kind of figuring this out. How did you figure that out? The, I, I like it was very intuitive. Interesting. Have you been um, able to like figure like how you figured that out at this point? Like here's the here's one I did. And I'm, I'd just be so fully present with them, and I would shut off my own agenda. That, and I just really tune into them. And when you're with a child, but especially a baby, it's like a dance, and they would. Do you see the tail in the background? I do. I get to see a tail. You get to see a zero. So yeah, Uh, um, I would have a place that I wanted to nudge them to, but I also needed, I needed to respect their parameters. I had one baby who had so much drugs and alcohol in her system and her mother discharged herself from the hospital four hours after giving birth so she could go get her next fix, which is a whole nother conversation. Yes. Yes. How to support these women. But and she was a border baby in the hospital because they can disappear for two weeks, but if it's past two weeks, then you can start the termination. But it would be like, you know, 13 days and she'd send a text message. So the clock would start for the two weeks again. So she came to me. Ah, uh, the rules of all of that. Aren't she, doesn't, she doesn't like being held. She doesn't want to be touched. They're like, but she needs to be held. So when I fed her, you know, I could put a little cloth over her eyes at first because it'd just be so overwhelming for her to be in my arms and looking at me. <laughs> then we started where I would let her look at me, but I wouldn't look back at her because this direct contact with the eyes is so overwhelming for them. And then by the time she was placed about six or eight weeks later, she just followed me. You know, she just, her eyes always fall. And I knew with a pricklier baby, which she was, she could get overstimulated very quickly. She wasn't a good nighttime traveler. I never let other people hold her because she just needed the security of me for that point. Does that make sense? Yes. It, it does. So as you're loving these babies, and I'm sure that's one example of many that you've had, you found you had this gift within you that no one taught you, right? and yet no. you found it. And it is, I mean, you could write a whole book on that, <laughs> let alone on how to start, you know, nonprofit that you have right now with Hello Baby. You know, 
your realm can become your gift or it can become your downfall. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So working with these foster children, loving them, a lot of rewards and a lot of heartbreaks, I'm sure. During that time, how did you try to protect you? How do you protect your spirit, your energy? How do you keep going and say, I'm going to do this again and I'm going to do this again? Well, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. And when a baby comes into care, it's like love at first sight. You get to fall in love all over again. But the other side of that coin is you're going to have to say goodbye at some point. And we have in Illinois a foster to adopt program, which I think is kind of a terrible idea. I mean, but I know they don't have enough foster mothers. But then you have the foster mother working in opposition to the family of origin. And I always really tried to support the families that I served, both the adoptive family and the birth family. So I could be impartial and I didn't have a horse in the game. I didn't have an agenda. I just You didn't you you were you were helping to see this child from one stage or step to the next step. And I knew that it wasn't your forever child. And I think the reason I survived is my faith life. And it's I'm not all extreme, but I was called to take care of them for this certain period of time, and then I had to let it go. And when I did let a baby go, I gave myself time to grieve. You know, my friends who, and I take the babies with me, the ones that could handle traveling well, I take them with, they were always in my arms, but I, they, and you know, there was some stuff I couldn't do, but when the baby was placed, they took me back in the circle. You know, and so, mm-hmm. and then I'd rest for a while or catch up on everything else, and then the next one would come. So, fast forward, how many years did you foster for? I'm going to say about 13. So, 13 years. It, when was it within that process that kind of leads us to more of our, I'll say, present day? I know that, you know, Hello Baby didn't start overnight. But where was it in that process that led you to say, I can do more, I want to do more. How can I serve this differently? How can I serve these children differently? Well, I think the first thing that happened, you know, I would probably still be doing foster care. There's just less babies now. And the whole landscape of adoption has changed. And, you know, birth control is easier to access. You can get plan B just going into Walgreens. You don't have to get the doctor's prescription, abortion well, that's all changing now, but, you know, mm-hmm. is a little gentler than it used to be. So there were less babies, but I also thought instead of me bringing the babies into my home one at a time, maybe it's time for me to travel where the need is the greatest. And I'd see, I get, I most of my babies were newborns that we went up to five years old. And I get a baby, say, that was nine months old, and I could just tell, have you heard of the term container syndrome? Mm-hmm. But tell us, tell us what that is, yes. They're strapped in a car seat or a baby seat in front of a screen, probably, for most mm-hmm. of their time. So when I get a baby who would come into care, sounds a little harsh, but the first thing I do is give them a bath, just because I wanted to assess my starting point. You know, are there any weird bruises or rashes or just anything... And I did find some weird stuff once in a while that I caught right away, like a staph infection on a baby. So that was a good practice. So at this, you know, I get these babies and I give them a bath. I really try to spend a lot of time just holding them, letting them get to know me. 
And then for these older ones, I'd have this play mat set up on the family room floor. And sometimes I'd put them down and they would just scream bloody murder. Like, what am I doing? They also didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't roll over. They could hardly lift their head. So now say they're six, seven, eight months and they're already starting out behind. So I'd get down with them and I would just make them do it, you know, but in two days they'd like it. They were eating better. They were sleeping at night because they had an activity that defined their day. And the bonding started. So like the one particular baby I'm thinking of that I talked about in the book, when he was six weeks, I had him for six weeks. And when he left, he was sitting on his own. He was so happy. And so it really speaks to the human spirit, I think, Mm. that he was able to connect with me so much. What do you do at Hello Baby that simulates that? Well, what is it about that experience that then translates over into into Hello Baby? So Hello Baby is the nation's first and as far as I can tell only free of charge drop-in play space for caregiver and child. And our target is birth to three, but if there's a three-year-old that's not in school, come on in. You know, it's fine. But play is the work of childhood, and that's how kids learn social, executive. So play is the work of childhood. Yeah. I love that. I think we need to take a moment to like appreciate that statement. Play is the work of childhood, and children should be playing and using their imagination and growing and being stimulated. Self-directed, with an adult, with other peers. I personally think the most important skill before school is to know how to make, keep, and be a friend because the other information is going to start coming. But if you get to pre-K or kindergarten and you're fighting with all your peers, you're not going to be able to absorb the information because you're too stressed about why doesn't anyone like me? So I think more of us adults should actually have the play is the work of childhood mantra. (laughs) Maybe more of us need to play play every day a little too. I really do. Oh, I saw... You know, we've got the devices raising our kids now. And I think this is not a condemnation of families. I think families are doing everything they can to raise happy, healthy children. But mothers are stretched to the limit. And fathers, but probably mostly mothers. So I think we do the best we can. And also, if you were not played with as a child, you don't know how to do it. Hmm. So what do you mean by that? Tell me about that. Well, what'd you learn? I learned how to be silly and goofy and get on the floor with them and interact with them in ways that were happy for them and happy for me. Mm-hmm. And if no one did that for you, I re- one of the doctors that we work with said, he's the former emergency room doctor at a local hospital that sends a lot of people to us. And he said a kid came in at like three years old and before he just starts doing all the examining, he likes to talk to him a little. And his mother goes, I didn't know he could answer all those questions. I didn't know he could talk to me like that. She just didn't know. She just didn't know. Yeah. So, you know, listen, I don't want to be the white girl going in the minority community telling everybody what to do. That would be obnoxious and I shouldn't be run out of there if I do that. But I want to serve and with permission, organically model. And sometimes the... We had this mom up the street who came and she was very young and she had this little baby and she goes, 
I don't know why I came here. He doesn't do anything yet. But we developed diapers and stuff. So she needed some of that. And I go, well, he's awfully cute. And she goes, you want to hold him? And I'm like, oh, heck, yes, I do. And so I said, can we try some tummy time with him? And she said, what's that? And I go, oh, it's easy. Let me show you. And I got out the mat and I showed her how I put the toys around, just so he has a reason to move his head a little. And she was just dazzled that her baby could do this. And so we sent her home with the play mat and the books and the toys and the diapers. And I think she just floated down the street. But if I had said, you don't do tummy time. And make her feel like, like no she's one does well not valuable. Yeah. No one does well with Shane. Oh, my goodness. When did you start thinking about doing something more? When did kind of the concept for Hello Baby come into your head that you started working towards this goal? I have one of my respite care. I worked with two organizations and one was to provide respite care for mothers in crisis. And one little boy I had when he was six months old and he still, he calls me every day now. He's 11. And I mean, I still take him like as a grandma, even though I'm clearly way too young for that. Not really. Well, you're left. Yes. <laughs> but I take him. He was with me for three weeks over the summer going to camp. So I have a really sweet relationship with him. But I took him a lot. He was a very active boy, as a lot of boys are. So I took him to the four pay indoor play places on the north side of Chicago. But there's whole areas of our city that are play deserts. What does a play desert mean? Have you heard of food deserts? There aren't appropriate places for kids to play. Families don't, they're worried about outside, especially in the summer. They don't want to use the parks because of the violence. And to me, a summer without time outdoors just breaks my heart. I mean, I can't. Sometimes they'll live, you know, it's simple things like they'll be on a third floor walk up and the person downstairs doesn't want to hear the thump, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, with their little feet. So Mm -hmm. the options were really like McDonald's playroom, you know, that ball Mm -hmm. pit. Yes. I understand they're advertisers. I understand exactly what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. No, they're not. They <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> they won't be. Up. But I could also see where that might be the only option somebody yeah, has to have their, exactly. their Gmail run around and play. And so the rest of it be damned. I mean, like, let's, my child needs to be able to do something that isn't that, you know, doesn't take a lot of money or, and we have good access to. We can do it, but. The south side is not realistic for them to drive to the north side mm-hmm. and then pay $20 plus parking for a place to play and then have to drive back. And if you don't have a car, it takes even longer. So you're really going to be traveling more than you're going to be playing. And I just think these things belong in the neighborhood. So we've got, you have one site and I know you're going to be expanding here and that's the whole goal is to get these moving not just in your Chicago area and in your locale but hopefully other cities as well how difficult was it to come up with that business plan and make this business actually perform well I've never done this before so (laughs) amen that's probably most of us and then a lot of people who have been listeners have done things several times but so for somebody who's never done this before, tell us what one of your, you know, one of your biggest challenges was. Frankly, my biggest challenge has probably been the city of Chicago. Just the bureaucracy. I mean, I really thought it would be operating in a neighborhood that faces the challenges of poverty. But 
I love Woodlawn. That's where we are now. My neighbors there are so wonderful. They take such good care of us. They want us there. And I think every mother wants the same thing for her child. You know, healthy food, good education, access to quality medical care, safe housing, happy kids. And so I'm just trying to bring a little bit of that into the neighborhood. And we've really become a community center. And, you know, my job is to provide it and kind of get out of the way. If someone asks me a question, I'm happy to answer it. But sometimes mothers know maybe their kid has an issue, but they're tired of someone telling them what's wrong with their kid all the time. They just want to have a good time. Going back to the city and the, the challenges that you had, what was something you had to overcome that you didn't have any idea that you were going to have to overcome? Well, when we first moved in, they did a streets and sand project, like a water main thing. If they had done this on the north side, which is the affluent side, we would have had notice. We would have had access to our site. You know, it was about four to six month project. It was winter. This whole street was flooded. You've got these little old ladies walking with their shopping carts trying to get to the store, and they can't. So, and they, it wasn't the fault of the workers, but it was the lack of respect for the South Side, I think, because mm -hmm. it's perceived as not having as much of a voice. When we called the police, I if I need the police, I'll go out and wait for someone to drive by and I'll flag them down. But what we do is we have wonderful neighbors who will mm -hmm. help us. What are some of the current obstacles that you run into that we might not think of with a nonprofit? Is it a city? Is it business? Is it participants? Well, the participants, that's never been a problem. I mean, okay. we also had the issue of the pandemic. Okay. You know, like so you opened in 2017, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so we had like three years, we were just at our peak. And then the floor opens up. You know, it was just rocking and rolling. But I think and you're in Illinois, which didn't help. So <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Oh, some states just didn't have it quite as closed. So Oh yeah. No, yeah. we were closed. Yeah. The city actually did pretty well because Good. Like, the, I think they protected the kids, the Chicago public school system that mm -hmm. really hurt the kids who missed. Once again, it was in the low-income communities, dropped the ball on those kids. I, They lost two years, and some are never going to go back to school. But we couldn't be open, but I think because we're so small and we're so lean, I remember when it first closed down, and I think I was... They said, it's going to open up in Easter, and then schools, Fourth of July for sure, and then schools down in the fall. And so when it wasn't open at Easter, I'm like, okay, we got to figure something out. So we did big giveaway days once a week. And I, a lot of people were doing food at the time, but we did all the stuff that public aid doesn't cover. Like, you know, they don't cover diapers. How? They're so expensive. Female sanitary protection, paper goods like paper towels, stuff like mm -hmm. that, cleaning products, hygiene products. And we had these COVID care kits that a donor gave us that were gorgeous. So we just kept pushing this stuff out in the community. And remember, that was the summer that we had all the riots after the George Floyd murder. Ah, yes. There's a lot of that, too. There was a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> and so a lot of the grocery stores and pharmacies got closed and still aren't back. Yeah, you know, it really hurt. Yeah. The South 
side. Yeah. Debbie, I'm going to bring us back to kind of in your brainchild of coming up with this business. And uh, now, how long did it take you from kind of starting to like actually opening the doors? Like thought process beginning. So in my mind, that sounds pretty like pretty quick. Who supported you to get this moving? What kind of support system or like, hey, this is a mentor who I reached out to because I've got this great idea. And how do I get this moving? The community was great, but the first thing I did is I have a friend, Carity Grady, who has his own graphic design firm. So I went to him, and he's a very good friend, and he helped me refine the idea. And he did, you know, we selected the name together, but we settled on the name and the color palette, and he did our first website. And then I got an attorney to get the not-for-profit status, and that takes about four to six months, depending on... And then it was time to start looking for a space. And I wanted to not be the only one on the block or not be the only one in an otherwise empty building. So I went, I was more familiar with the South Side just for my foster care years, but West Side would have been fine too. But I just met with different community leaders and we're, you know, aldermen and I was pushing it out there. And one of our neighbors up the street who we adore identified the space for us. I didn't want to buy it straight out of the gate in case it didn't work, though I invested heavily in the build-out because just because some of our guests live in poverty doesn't mean they deserve the broken toys. We're here and we're staying and this is for you. And that one of my friends at church is a hospital architect for Perkins and Will, which is an international architecture firm that started in Chicago. They do like the $600 million jobs. This is probably the smallest job they've ever done. So I had seen on Facebook that she's got three boys of her own, that she had entered like a playhouse competition. I go, oh, maybe she's like a playhouse, right? Yeah. Maybe she can refer someone to me to help me because like, no way Perkins and Will is going to do this and I could never afford it. And I said, Marnie, do you know someone who can help me with this? And she goes, Debbie, that's us. But, and they do it pro bono. They've got a whole social purpose community, but I had to go pitch it. Wow. Because that really made a difference in the space. How, who helped you come up with your pitch? Who helped you come up with that? Gary Grady, who did our branding. You know, I was I had like two days to get it ready. So I get out my PowerPoint and I'm starting to, and it goes, no, 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 Debbie. No, no, no. We're going to do that for you. Nice. Your talking points. And so it was very professionally done. Ah, oh, that's awesome. So we don't we don't think about that as unless we're asking for, you know, investor money or those kind of things where you'd actually have to pitch it. If you're gonna self fund everything, you don't have to pitch anything else about yourself in the bank. If I'm asking them to do it for free, they need to know it's gonna work. Yes. How did you know it was gonna work? I didn't. What was what kept, you know, kept driving you to say like, I think this is gonna work? Well, when I introduced it to different people in my circle, and I did it very slowly because I was nervous. I'd always been a part of someone else's organization, but nobody said that idea is terrible. And I thought, it's so obvious someone else must be doing this. You know, so you can- It's so obvious that there's a need for this. Yeah. And it's the most, to me, you know, 80% of brain growth occurs between conception and the third year of life. So- And pre-K in Illinois starts at three years old. 
universal pre-K, but in Woodlawn, only about half the kids are enrolled in that. So we're missing the most crucial years, I think. Is there anything that gave you pause for cause with moving forward? Anything that went like, mm, I don't know about this. Any skeptics? Or did you pretty oh, much yeah. have the support yeah. you wanted? I mean, when I first moved in... Sometimes we're our worst skeptics. <laughs> well, I was probably that. I mean, not everybody... The alderman who we worked with, who was very supportive of us, but he was very skeptical because he's had people like me show up before with these ideas. And then at the first sign of trouble, you scatter home. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd been in the neighborhoods enough through foster care, like discharging a baby or taking it back, that I had a little more comfort level. But he said, so you're telling me you're going to leave your big house on the north side to come sit down here in a thousand square feet every day. And I said, I am. And he goes, why are you doing that? And I said, because I can. But he was right to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why would you do this? And how long are you really going to stick this out? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what keeps you coming back every day? Oh, God, it's so great. I mean, when they told me today, like, one of our little guests had a speech appointment, but they have to drive by Hello Baby. So it's like, Hello Baby, Hello Baby, take me to Hello Baby. And it's not like, <laughs> we can go there. And parents tell me they'll have to, like, reroute their trip because if they go by they go by it's like going by mcdonald's right you're now the mcdonald's of child play yeah (laughs) but they and i get to answer the door when these kids come in and like they're waiting outside they bolt out of the car out of the stroller you know they just can't wait but they just can't stand outside the door for us to open it for them they're so excited to be there (laughs) oh and then they all cry when it's time to go home. So what we've started doing is we give them those little Annie's organic snacks. You know, yes. I let pick out yeah. one. You know, they're not all that verbal yet. But if they say snack, it means I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm overstimulated, it's time to go home. So we're giving them the cue. Mm. Absolutely. I love it. One of your statements that gets stated in the book is child's play is serious business. And it is for multiple reasons. I'm going to quietly or just a little bit switch that on you. And I would say so is running a business. I mean, it's a serious business. So on that realm, what's one of the most important lessons you feel you've learned from this business journey? You've got the, the journey of the heart and what you're trying to do in this commu- in these communities, community plus and expansion. Mm-hmm. But what have you learned from the business journey of this? Because that's a well, whole nother like I, you said, I've never done this before. I was at, in the workforce in the 80s. So my admin skills are a little behind the times. And I'm cobbling it together. And at first, it was my money. And I was doing it all, which was exhausting. Mm-hmm. As we've seen it successful and we've grown, we've brought in more sna- staff to absorb some of that. And now that we're on, you know, the book is coming out, we're on the cusp of the second location. I really do need people who know what they're doing to help shepherd that process. And then I can go back to the thing I love doing the most, which is like playing on the floor and coloring. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Also in your book, one of the things you did was you left your readers with a lot of collections of kind of your ideas and your observations of things that 
you would advise as they're looking at their own journey? Do you have one in particular that sticks out that like, this one's my favorite? One of them is honor your voice, learn from your mistakes, hire from the community. Those types of advice, which one really resonates with you? And if you're like, of these, this is one that really sticks out. I don't know if it's in that section of the book, but what I realized when we got there is how little kids spent time outdoors. And so when we could, the first year we were just figuring out how it worked indoors. We've got a deep patio on the side. So I got a sidewalk, like restaurant permit, you know, even though we're uh-huh. not a restaurant. But I put a fence up and I hang ribbons from it. And we put all the sensory play outside, like the water table and the shaving cream and, you know, all mm-hmm. the attic sand. And then our neighbors across the street at Blacks and Green were cultivating this beautiful garden that was pretty much unused. But in our neighborhood, I mean, it was just spectacular. And Naomi Davis, who's the founder of Blacks and Green, said, Debbie, send your family soap. You know, there was really nothing for the kids to do. So I go, except be outside, which is great. But they said, what if we put some fairy houses in next year? So we have this the fifth year we've had the fairy garden we keep it real simple it's like half a city you know half a city lot we don't even use the whole thing but there's these trees with these little canopies and you know when you're little and something seems so big i think that's what it looks like for them and because it's off the street and it's not a city park families feel safe you get to enjoy nature and learn about it they're going to be stewards of our planet. So something they didn't really expect at the beginning. We do a lot of DCFS supervised visits and the early intervention appointments. You know, in the state of Illinois, if you fall below the spectrum, you get an hour of hour a week of support from like a speech therapist or occupational therapist. And families don't always want the therapist in their homes and the therapists don't always want to go in the homes. Mm-hmm. Mandated reporters. We are not. I was a foster care mom, but which I think keeps our dialogue so much more open. But mm. that's another happy thing, too, you know, that we can provide space for that. Mm. And a safe space for safe everybody. Space that everybody is happy in. Yeah. Beyond Hello Baby, and I'm going to ask you, Debbie, personally, what is it that gives you purpose and helps you get through your day? What is it like? This is what I do for me that helps ground me and make me better for this organization. Well, I broke my knee the day before stay in place at the pandemic. And, you know, that's when they're telling you not to go to the emergency room. So I went to an urgent care and she said it's a little sprain. It wasn't. I tore half my meniscus. It flipped up and I couldn't straighten my leg and I tore my ACL completely. So I was dragging my leg behind me for six weeks. Finally, I couldn't wait there. So I said to my daughter, you got to take me. We were at our second home in Galena. You got to take me to the Galena ER just so I can get crutches. Nobody was there because they're telling everybody I could have gone, you know, but I can't run anymore. And running was my big thing. So I got my pandemic whoopsie baby. You've seen his tail going past us. (laughs) And... We walk about three miles on the lakefront every morning, and we do another good one at the end of the day. And my goal with him was, there's a lot of fear of animals. You know, dogs are used as protection. 
And there's also some dog fighting that happens. So I just wanted to organically reframe the experience with the animals too. So we started training them right away and we were closed when I got him. But he goes in with me, not every day, but he goes in with me. Mm. And it's really the mothers who are initially a little more afraid. And then they're like, I only like Teddy. And I gave him the name Teddy because that's what kids really associate with. It's some kind of, it's some kind of stuffy or yes. Yes. Well, with love. And I just, they, then they learn how to approach a dog, how to be with the dog. I want, when they're older, yeah, I had a dog I really loved when I was little. Mm. As we kind of close up, one of the things I love to ask is, you love to go for walks with your dog. How does that or other activity, like, what do you do to see the world and yourself? Like, what do you do? Like, this is for Debbie so that I see myself the best. I show up the best because I've taken care of me. I probably don't do enough of that. Yeah. Why? What is it? I'm so busy. You know how if you get an email and you don't answer it that day, you forget about it for three weeks? <laughs> yeah. I'm only getting these. I have no idea what you're speaking about. <laughs> I think I don't have vomiter syndrome, and I think I am nearing, depending on how the growth goes, but nearing the end of my services executive director, I'll always be founder. But we need someone to come in who really knows how to do it. You know, I've cobbled it together. And then I can go back. During the pandemic, I handbagged the crafts so that the kids had something to do at home that weren't just a screen. And when the moms would come to the door and ask for crafts over gift cards, it kind of weep a little. I'd be so happy. But we really are pushing the enrichment out. Still, I realized how much they like to take it home. So we're just pushing the enrichment out. So families have built libraries from the books that they've gotten from us, educational toys, games. And if they need something, they can ask me and I can try to find it. What have you found out about yourself through this process? Kind of, you know whether it was you know, fostering, starting Hello Baby, what have you found out about you? To trust my instincts. Because I, it, and we, you talked about it, you know, in the back of the book, there are people who, it's a bad idea that you should do this instead. You can just tell by the look on your face and the stories that you tell. I would say the endorphin boost you get from doing what you do and the lives that you're changing is not just children's lives, it's their parents' lives because they're feeling better about themselves and that empowerment. You're empowering both sets of, of that family side. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'd invite everybody to learn a little bit more about Hello Baby. And you have a book that's just coming out October 17th. Pre-order it on Amazon. Ah, that's it. Pre-order that we can get there. Debbie, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your journey. A little bit about you as well as what's kind of driving you right now from a an entrepreneurial standpoint, sharing some of the, the joys as well as a few of the struggles with that. And I think it's amazing that, you know, you saw a problem, quote unquote, need. And I think as entrepreneurs, that's what we do. Or inventors, you see a concern, you come up with a solution and you bulldoze to try to make a solution happen for that problem with kids and trying to change their world. So thank you so much for your time today and uh, telling us a little bit about the art of seeing clearly. It was lovely talking with you. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.